I'm Dan Gregson. And I'm Mike Gregson. Welcome to Come Towards the Light, the podcast. Our goal is to find everyday people who are delightful. These people have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. We want to know their stories and what makes them delightful. We will uncover the life experiences our guests have been through, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way. With the belief that to understand delight, one has to be acquainted with the dark. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find light, which leads to our greatest delights? And how to help people, no matter the circumstances they're in, good or bad. Um, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast um, and that you pull out of it some of the things that we did as well. Um, one thing that I want to make mention of as you listen is pay attention to how she talks about showing up for people. Uh, it's important for us to really show up and be a part of people's lives when they come to our minds, when they come to our hearts. Give them a phone call, send them a text, show up. When we do that, it makes a difference. And also, when we show up, the other important thing is empathy. Get on people's level. Don't make them always come to yours. Get on their level. Go where they are. That's the only way to truly lift people is if we can reach them where they are and help. And a big part of that is showing up. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's something I want to do. Yeah. That's all right. So I had this really genius idea. This, this, is, this podcast is all about delight, right? <laughs> so I figured for us to be talking about delight and be focused on delight, what better way to do that? I don't think I've drunk some, a sunny D since like that one time at Jordan L. as then, a family. Yeah. His mom always bought sunny D. But it's sunny D. It's sunny <laughs> delight. So we're going to start. And, and, and I thought like when I was driving here, I was like, I'm going to grab some. And that the cool thing is, is we can drink Sunny Delight. This is delightful. I thought, okay, so delight. So what do you think? Needs a little of, sand in it. What do you think of when you think of delight? I think of sunny. I think of warmth. I think of happiness. And the sun, the sun kind of tends to do that for me. So I think the Sunny D guys were genius when they came up with the name Sunny, sunny Delight. Sunny D. Sunny D. Better than is that like, what the D stands for? Delight, yeah, Sunny it's Delight. Not like the no, vitamin they, it gives they you. They changed it to Sunny D because they you did the commercials with like Sunny D. Sunny Guys, Delight. it's the it's the it's Sunny oh, yeah. D. Distributed by Sunny Delight. That's Sunny Delight. It's all about delight. So I think Dan, I think you and I need to get in the habit of starting our podcast with Sunny Delight. Eventually, and, they're going to sponsor you. Yeah, and having that there to drink as we're doing our podcast. Yeah. So that's anyway, great. <sighs> It's delightful. That's it sunny is delightful. Day. And it's sunny. And that's... I don't know why... Why did you guys... Ne- I'm disappointed in life that you guys never gave me a nickname since I love nicknames sunny so much. I gave yeah, you why a was Sunny D never... I know. The Dan, pa- Pumple Moose? Dan yeah, the Man. Dan the Man. I always... Dan I mean, the Man is not a nickname. Yeah, that's, a that's like Mike trike. Do you like us to call you Sunny D? I mean, I don't, I don't want to... Uh, give myself my own nicknames like Kobe because I'm not there but you know I'm gonna have to because nobody else will so (laughs) so where where are these girls coming from yeah what do you do Uh, just give us a little bit of so I work at a treatment center for women in recovery um so I mean all of my clients with the exception of very few um have some sort of criminal legal background 
Um, so they're on probation or parole. And these are or, young girls, right? Uh, no, no, I did work with young girls for a okay. long time, but they're adult women now. Um, so they either have some sort of legal something or they're involved with DCFS because of their drug use or their criminal background. Um, or they're completing drug court and that's treatment is part of that plan there. So there's usually one of those three things involved, if not all of them. Um, or we've also, they did like the cleanup on Rio Grande. Um, so, I mean, that's been a minute, but a lot of our clients came in from that too, where yeah, it was like, like you can either go to jail or you can get treatment. And that's downtown Salt Lake, <laughs> Yes. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Rio Grande is, I mean, it's called The Block. It's where a lot of the homeless people hang out. In Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Got it. So, so, again, going back to kind of part of my question, when they come to you, do you feel like they're desperate or are they kind of like coming to you because they're ordered to and that's the only option they've got besides maybe jail? What what, what is I, it? So I think, um, I mean, a lot of them obviously have to be there for legal reasons. I think there's still, they still want help. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone grows up wanting to be homeless or addicted to drugs or abused or whatever. Like that's not a life anybody wants. Um, for a lot of them, that's what they've always known, but that doesn't mean they want it. And so I think coming in, even if they have to be there, there's still hope that something will change. Even when they're like, I don't want to be here. This sucks. I hate treatment because like treatment isn't fun. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, but I think just knowing that there is hope for change and that you can have a better life, I think, yeah, I think a lot of them come in fairly motivated. And you always get the ones that aren't necessarily, but that can change over time too. So I'm interested... <clears throat> Um, how, what, like your role. So when a girl comes into the system, and I'm sorry, I don't know what the right term is. When she comes and stays with you at the home, mm -hmm. okay. Um, when she comes and stays with your, with your group in the home, what's, what does that process look like on day one? How are you involved? What does it look like for them? Like walk us through maybe a scenario for them and then, and then tell us how you and your team like you specifically, but then also how your team get involved with them. What's, what's the the plan that's created to help these girls? Okay, so I do, and my, my job title is case management, but I do a lot with, with that, I do a lot of what's called behavior modification. So I'm looking a lot um, as my role at like criminal behaviors and thinking and how we can change that for them to be more pro-social. Pro so a lot of these women come from very marginalized backgrounds. Um, they just have, they, they, they basically live to survive and they have a lot of tools in their kit that are not appropriate. Um, so they break laws, they get into drugs, they do things they shouldn't. And so we take a look at that and do a lot of like, um, how can we change your thinking? Um, a lot of the things we do actually help rewire the brain um, and slow some of those processes down and then just teach them how to be basically functioning adults in society. Um, so when they first come in, um, one of the things we do is just sit down with them and get kind of a background. Where'd you come from? Um, I like to get a history of their drug use, their trauma, that kind of stuff, just to know what I'm, I'm going to be working with. Um, and then we um, write up a treatment plan for them. So we want it to be as individualized as possible so that we can meet the, their needs, kind of meet them where they're at. Um, so they're put in groups, they do therapy every day. I run a behavior group every day where we're looking at those behaviors and kind of correcting things there. 
Um, is that where they all come together? Yeah, uh -huh. in yeah. a group. We do it all together. Um, we also have individualized sessions there sure. too. So I meet with each of them individually every week where we talk about those things and, and identify the things that they're working on and look at some of their criminal thinking errors and behaviors. Um, and then too, they do a lot of like life skills groups. Um, they do groups back when they, so they come to like, like our main building for the groups and the sessions and stuff. But at the end of the day, they all go home to actual houses. So it's like more of a, for lack of a better word, kind of more of a family situation where they eat meals together. Um, they do chores. They just learn basic life skills, those kinds of things. Got it. So, so <clears throat> when you, when you come in, you sit down with these girls, you're trying mm -hmm. to get to know them, not just their past criminal history yeah. or their past history and their family history, right? Uh-huh. But you're trying to connect with them. Yes. Right? Yes. And and so tell me about that boundary uh, as far as connecting with them. Like where how do you how do you try and really connect with them in a way that really kind of makes sense for what they're they're in there for and, and the relationship that you need to have with them. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I don't know that I really know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, There's no written script yeah. for it, huh? So Katie. No. And that depends on the person. I because the thing is, is like, as the professional social worker, I can't be like, oh yeah, I totally relate to that because I've been yeah. through the same thing or whatever. Because like, they, I get to know everything about them, and they know basically nothing, nothing about me. So you kind of have to like, without being like. Oh, I've experienced that same thing being like, hey, I know what that feels like or like this must feel like this. So they still kind of feel that connection, even though you're not really getting too personal, if that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. So when they come in, like what are you, you talked about the tools they have, which is an interesting word because there, there are tools that have helped them survive yes. up to this point in their mm -hmm. life, which I guess is a positive thing. Um, well, in a way, I mean, it, it's survival, right? <laughs> yes, they've done yes. what they've had to do to survive. Yes. Um, which, which of these are like, are there common tools or behaviors that, that most of them have? What are those and which are the hardest to correct and how, like, what is that process like? Okay. Well, I mean, I work, it's substance abuse, right? Mm -hmm. So their number one thing is uh substance abuse sure um that's a it's like it's a coping skill mm -hmm. i mean i use coping skills like music or running or mm -hmm. whatever and that's what a healthy person would do whereas they grow up in a world where if i'm in a numb out or whatever the coping skill i'm going to use is a drug so like there's one example and obviously addiction is a hard thing to correct um then also too like if you are homeless and on the streets you're you're going to be breaking laws that's just like a given I feel like um, whether that's theft or stealing a car I guess that's still theft um, prostituting, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> prostituting yes, yourself like like they're just like normal people don't do those things right. but they do it like like I'm gonna prostitute myself so I can get money so I can feed my children and like that is another... like no that's their only option yeah. and so like like we see that as a really awful thing but for them it's like how else am I gonna feed my kid yeah so how do you build in the support system to allow them or to teach them that that's not the only option they have? Like, what, what are their options? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's hard. Yeah. Because uh, it's not easy because I think society kind of looks at them 
as they fit a certain mold and you can't get out of that and it's really hard to get out of that. Mm -hmm. um, so we do, while they're there, we do a lot to help them build that support outside of us. Um, I, a lot of times the first healthy people they ever meet in their lives are their therapists and their case managers at treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a start, but they can't stay with us forever. So we like to have them build up those supports in the community. So we make them go to like AA meetings and other self-help meetings, getting involved in church if they're religious or spiritual in any way, um, joining a book club or like a gym, um, just, just finding people outside of that world that are healthy that can be a support to them as they transition out of treatment. You've, you've been in <clears throat> this type of industry I know you switched gears for a sec, but what mm -hmm. did it, how long have you really been doing what you've been doing? Uh, ten years. Has it been ten? Yep. Because before it was with like younger girls. Yeah, and that population was different, um, just because they came from quite wealthy, privileged backgrounds. Right. All of um, different states and places, yeah, right? uh huh, yeah. yeah. But like, even with that, a lot of the behaviors are pretty similar. Sure. I think when you experience trauma, you you act out in ways you shouldn't sure. sometimes. Sure. And then, okay, so then you, you kind of migrate into, like, this older, more mm -hmm. more older women, and then mainly from the state of, of Utah, right? Yeah, all of them are from the state of Utah. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. <clears throat> so so you've been in the business for 10 years. Are you, do, you, do you enjoy the business? Do you enjoy what you do? Yeah, I love what I do. Okay. So so you found passion behind what you do. And yes. You feel like you're, you're making a difference. Tell me about that. Like, like, speak to like why. Like, what, what, what do you love about it? What do you see that brings you joy and delight that you just have really been drawn to because of what you're doing? Uh, I get to see people change every day. Like, I meet people when they're at like rock bottom, lowest of lows. Life really sucks, and I get to see them turn it around and become something completely different. Um, and it's really, really hard most days. Um, but I think like that in itself is rewarding. Like I get to go to work and every day is different and every day is a challenge, but I get to come home at the end of the day and feel like I maybe did something that made a difference. And even if I didn't do something that made a difference, I get to see that someone else did something that changed their life. <laughs> okay. Um, delight. So Kate, um, I was kind of curious. So in thinking about your work, and the girl, the women that you work with, um, and we'll kind of get into you know maybe some of the things that they um, struggle with or or whatever. And I know that we can't really get into a lot of specifics, sure. but um, I I'm curious with your work, like when you talk to women, like do they ever get to a point of delight? Like do you still see delight in them occasionally? Yeah, I would say probably most of the time. I think they take delight in changing. Mm -hmm. um, I think also when they come into us, they're pretty motivated to change for the most part, not all of them. Um, but I think to just being in a place where they're safe and they can be vulnerable and get the help they need. Um, and I think they see change in themselves and that's like a pretty powerful thing that can be pretty delightful. And just like hope. Yeah. I guess I see them come in with a lot of hope. But what, what's so cool to me is, is the way that you would say, you know, like, how can I ask someone to be more vulnerable if yeah. I'm not at all? Like, yeah. you've got to, to lift someone, you kind of have to be on a higher plane already to do that, right? 
I, yes, but I also think too sometimes you got to get down in it yeah. with and them. Yeah. Like you have to meet them where they're at. That's awesome. Because if I'm up here, I, they're going to know I'm up here and they're down there and we're well, not going to be able to, to really, connect. Yeah, they don't know yeah. how to get there. Yeah, because I like you have to get down in it with them <laughs> and and bring them up with you. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. And and I think so. So on that same line. The, the, let's go back to the vulnerability piece for okay. just a second because I, I think there's so much power in that. Um, when these when these women first come in there, is vulnerability something that is a part of their lives in most cases? Um, it depends on the person. Some of them have major walls and don't trust a soul on the planet, and so you kind of have to break that down and show that you can be a trustworthy, consistent person in their life before they'll get there. And then I'll have clients that come in and share their whole life story with me before they even know my name. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like a, a dog-eat-dog world fight, kind of, where it's like you gotta, you're got you fighting for your own, mm-hmm. right? You're your own, you're fighting for yeah. you, you're surviving. Well, and when you live on the streets, it's not a very vulnerable sure. place. So, <laughs> you got a you've got it, you do, you, have, you do. And, yeah. and some of them are very tough on the outside yeah. and that's hard to get through sometimes yeah so when you when you see that change in in these people that come in and you all that like say say the most hardened toughest whether they're a criminal or not but just that hardened thick skin toughest person personality that's hard to break through have you seen cases where all of a sudden they open up and there's vulnerability and if, if you've seen those like tell us what that's like uh, it's like the best feeling in the world. <laughs> yes, I have seen it. It, I, it's like absolute magic. It just, it's like you, you just like see the light bulb click on, and it just, it's a very powerful thing. It, it feels like a very spiritual thing, and it's just like you just feel like, oh, they got it. Yeah. And and that's when change starts to happen. Yeah. Okay. Is it possible to be changeable or to like make good change, like really? drastic change in your life without vulnerability like have you ever seen that i don't think so i mean i'm sure you can make some changes i don't think why is that so critical do you think why would that be something that is necessary for that process it's a tough question it's it's a tough i know it is challenging me Good. hold that thought okay i'm, I'm going to say something and it's when we talked to bailey last week she said something that was really that really stood out to me cancer patient right yeah. right got a stage four brain cancer and she said that she talked about how vulnerability and opening up allowed other people to understand her and they got on her side and all of a sudden instead of it being a personal battle it's a we thing and there's an army behind you when you when you're willing to open up and you're willing to become vulnerable so anyway she she talked a lot about that team yeah yeah i think that's a lot of it right like the more open I can be with the person, the more they feel connected to me. So yeah, that makes sense to me that it that it then you're on the same side, you have someone in your corner, and it suddenly makes the fight or the battle feel more achievable, I guess. If you have someone who is not vulnerable, like what how does that process work? Because it seems to me like you'd be shooting at things in the dark, completely blind, trying to come up with things that they could do without knowing I guess some of the root causes of what they've been, why they are, how they are, why they act the way they do. Uh, yeah, I and I think sometimes you are. I mean, we have people that go through our program that aren't successful afterwards, and I think a lot of it 
sometimes is because they haven't allowed themselves to be vulnerable and maybe they're not ready to and and that's okay too because sometimes people aren't ready for that as far as my position goes when I have a client that's very resistant to that well first of all I'd tell them that Mm -hmm. like hey I can't help you if you can't tell me what I need to help you with Help me help you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, so so what are the tools that you've learned in doing this for 10 years to draw people out, to get them to feel safe to be vulnerable? I think that goes back to getting on their level, right? Like just even though I can't be like, I said this earlier, even though I can't be like, hey, I totally I experienced this. There are ways that I can let them know that like I know how you're feeling in this moment because I felt that before. And so in my own kind of way, I'm being vulnerable without spilling my guts and they feel more connected to me and the more consistent I can be in their life as well. A lot of it's just building trust and a lot of building trust is just being consistent. So even if they don't ever completely open up to me, they might get to the point where they can trust me and then they can start opening up. Do you feel like a component of that, of that is love? Absolutely. So how do you how do you do that in a way where you're not crossing a boundary? Because you're, I mean, obviously with these these type of people that have grown up in a really rough, you know, tough, they've had to work out worry just for them. How do you make sure you, or how do you do that? How do you show somebody love and really, really give that gift to them so they can have a desire to be vulnerable and open up to you? Uh, so I don't know that I've always been good at this, but something I've learned is just to tell people that. Like, like, hey, I care about you. I'm on your side. I want you to do well. The reason I'm doing these things, the reason I'm making you work on these things or that I'm giving you this consequence for this behavior is because I want to see you succeed. And I, I think just being an open, like even if they can't be open with you, being open with them about where you're at at least opens the door. Kind of gives them a roadmap on how yeah. to be open, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because maybe they just don't even know how to do that. Oh, for sure. If, you're, never if your whole thing is survival for your whole life, part of survival, like my, like what I would imagine is you would everything would become internal. You're the only one that you can trust. Yeah, yeah for sure. And so there is no team. You are your own team. You have to fight for yourself because no one's out there right. working for your survival. Right. Not That's even it. the people that should be. Yeah. Yeah. Which so now okay to go go with that so like who should be are you talking about family family friends friends so these are people that come from really broken environments so broken yeah yeah would you say either because they've lost trust or because they just never had that uh it depends on who we're talking about mm-hmm. I mean I with the women that I'm working with now the backgrounds they come from are just. Like, they don't come from good families, yeah. good supportive families. I Like, they're usually, like, second or third generation addicts or mm-hmm. have been homeless and on the streets since they were 13 or in gangs or, like, like sometimes their family is their gang. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, they, they don't know what a family, I don't, I don't know, a family looks like. So tell us about, <clears throat> tell us about that for the majority. You know, what does the family actually look like? Is it, is it a single mother? Is it parents aren't even existing? Single or? mom, parents are gone, dad's in prison, mom's an addict. Uh, that's if you even know who they are. Mm-hmm. Maybe they grew up in the foster system and have been bounced around from house to house. Um, they might have been abused by one or both parents. Do you ever see the, the girls come in that, come from a solid background, that have a a good functioning family. Don't have many right now. When I was working, 
um, with the teenagers, I saw more of that, at least in that they came from families that were together. I don't know that they were necessarily healthy. So a lot of the tools that, that young kids need to really gain, you know, self-esteem and gain confidence for the world, a lot of those tools weren't really given to these young kids growing up. Right, because those are learned things, yeah. right? Like yeah. we learned our coping skills and how to communicate from our parents, right? And if you don't have parents that are teaching you those, where do you learn them? Yeah. Switch gears a little bit. For okay. Me. Um, tell me uh, tell me about an experience. And, and don't need to use names. Don't need to be like super oh, specific. Good, because right? I can't. Yeah. <laughs> but but maybe, maybe just to like in the next part of the conversation is, is tell, you know, tell Dan and I about a time where there's been a girl that you've really seen just this beautiful change in you know what occurred what happened how was what was the struggle like from the time she walked in to to whatever is there someone you can think of that you could maybe share an experience about i mean i could probably think of a million right. um it's hard to pick just one sure uh, uh so when i first started at my previous job so we're talking teenagers here um, a lot of kids we had there were what's called reactive attachment disorder. So they had a hard time just forming connection, period. Um, with anybody. With anybody. They just, they just, they don't know how to attach to a person. Mm -hmm. um, you see it a lot with like kids who are adopted or who are in foster care. And this was a girl who had been um, in foster care for a significant amount of time before she was adopted. Ever with her <clears throat> real mom and dad, or real mother? Uh, yeah, she was when she was younger, but mom, I can't remember if she was an addict or, but for some reason she had been pulled from the home. Sure. Uh huh. And mom didn't ever, she didn't ever unify with mom. Mm. And I can't remember, I don't remember the details on it. She was, she was probably one of the hardest kids I've ever worked with. Um, just very severe reactive attachment um, and so a lot of severe behavioral problems. Um, and does, it's, does it, sorry, I didn't mean to cut up, but does the detachment cause like, what does that cause? Anger? Just... Uh, so with attachment, they do a lot of like, I don't want to get hurt. So I'm going to push you away before you can hurt me. And so a lot of things they do or say are to see if you'll walk away basically. Gotcha. So this girl would, she like, <laughs> she'd run away from treatment regularly. I mean, that was her biggest thing probably. Or she'd say things that she knew would hurt your feelings or whatever. But like I, we had her for probably for like two years by the time she graduated the program. And we had to like I I think with her we had to do a lot of like well when she's acting out when she's throwing a fit I'm a, it's I'm gonna sit with you until that's over like if I walk away while you're throwing this fit I'm doing what you think it is that I'm going to do like I'm yeah. basically proving you right yeah. right so I'm gonna I'm gonna that's sit with you yeah. I'm gonna sit with you I'm gonna tell you I care about you and that's why I'm sitting with you and like eventually it got to the point where she believed it because we were showing that that we were consistently going to do that and, and sometimes has, you're doing that without even talking i would yeah, imagine right yeah, you're a lot, yeah. Saying, hey i love you yeah. i love you I love you it. can like it's punch holes in the walls yeah. and scream and yell and whatever i'm just going to be here in this room yeah. so it's and that's just a lot of times presence. yeah yeah a lot of times that's what it is yeah. is i'm just i'm just going to be here yeah. when you're ready to talk when you're ready to work it out whatever i'm here okay. and i'm not going to leave you in this i'm just going to be here and, and eventually she saw that that's what we were going to do and that we weren't going to walk away. And that allowed her to build that trust. 
and to be able to open up. And once she was able to do that, it was like night and day, different kid. How length of time? Like what from from oh point months a and months. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it is not an overnight process. Well, if you're working off of years of of uh, of, people, yes. of people in and out of your life, and you can't, and you've gotten to a point where you cannot trust people that will be in your life. I mean, it makes total sense to me. Like I, as you were talking about that, I, my thought kind of went to like, you know, like this, like being near a lake that is frozen over, and the mm-hmm. first thing you want to do is like test the ice. Like I kind of want to go walk out there, but I don't want to fall in. So maybe I'll grab a couple rocks and start throwing them on a little bigger, a little bigger, sure, just yeah. to see if it can hold the weight, just to test the strength of the ice. And like that, that to me, it feels like what these girls are trying to do. Like they're going to try and cause pain or all push all of your buttons yeah, and see what you just do. to see if yeah. you're going to break. Well, it's, it's and a, if you break, then it proves them right. It's, oh, yeah. a, it's a habit. It's a, it's a formed, it's a, it, it basically it comes to their nature at that point because that's who they've become, right? And you've right. got to somehow snap that, right? So how? So if you're in, some of these girls came from families. So if you're in a family and you've got someone who keeps pushing those buttons, like how do you deal with that? Because you know we we've we've seen cases where like in our own family or or families close to us or whatever where people have kind of hit wit's end, you know, like. We're, I, I'm kind of done with this person. I kind of need to write them out. How, how do you balance continually being for, there for a person with kind of guarding your own self and protecting that? Dan, you shouldn't talk about me. I'm in the same <laughs> Just anyway, just kidding. Well, with Mike. That's not, <laughs> no, no, this, no, this, no, is actually, this is actually a lot more yeah, personal to me yeah, no, because, it's true. because this all is what I do through. with relationships. All of us go through. I am a person who does not have a lot of trust in other people. I very much feel internally that I am not really very worthy of love. And so I, I this is my own, like I'm asking, I'm not asking because of what no, you've been through. I'm asking because of yeah. what I've been through. Yeah. And it's, I, I'm, I'm with you and I, and I knew that. And, and so when I said that, I was just kind of, teasing. no, yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, so I, but, but no, and, and Dan, I think this is, this is awesome because it's like, yeah. Well, it goes back to that vulnerability. Exactly. Case, right? So, so yeah, talk to that. Talk about that a little bit. So you wanted to know what you do with someone who... Yeah, how do you, do, how do you deal with that in your family? Because that can be a big and disruptor. You know? it, can, it can seem like something that, you know, if you've got three kids in the house and one of them is constantly the one that's reaching out that needs that trust or affection or validation or whatever, and as a parent or as a sibling, you just run out of energy or whatever it is to give that person what they need. Like how, how can you support you know, and, and still show that trust, but protect yourself? So important because a lot of us as parents yes. struggle with this stuff. Oh, parents, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, well, I'm not a parent. <laughs> well, you're but not. you're a member of a family. You're, you're, oh, you're going to have a biological child. But I've got time, like 70 kids. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sometimes work, you know, the, the, what you choose to do with your life provides opportunity yeah, for right. you to yeah. be a parent. So, I mean, you have to set boundaries, right? Or you will be drained. Mm-hmm. Um, and what those boundaries look like are up to you. But I also think something that's worked for me is just not taking it personally. Whatever they're doing is because they have some sort of need that, that needs to be filled. 
and it's not about me. Yeah. Um, if I make it about me, that's when I get exhausted and burned out because then it's something I'm doing wrong that right. I need to fix and whatever. But if I can remember that like this is about them and try and figure out what it is that they need or even talk to them about what it is that they need, then they can get that need filled and the behavior stops. I, I want to talk more about you, like that person. Yeah. Okay. So so let's say I'm I'm a parent mm-hmm. and I've got children that are kind of struggling with maybe some of these different behavioral things. Okay. So Katie, how have you learned over the last ten years as that kind of that parental role, if you will? What are tools? What are principles, characteristics? What are things that you can work on that that I can work on as a parent? What are things that I can do? to practice that kind of behavior that is helpful to people that are in these positions that really can help them to draw them out of that type of behavior? Um, I think it starts with empathy, recognizing that the, I think a lot of times we look at people not necessarily as objects, but that's the best word I can think of to describe it without remembering that like, this is a person with feelings and needs. And, and I think sometimes we forget that. And so if you can like, and this is easier said than done, remind yourself of that, like that this person I'm communicating with, they have feelings and emotions and, and, and reasons why they believe the way they do on their end, then it allows me to be able to find that place of empathy. And if I can be empathetic, that means I'm then getting on their level. And I, I think that's really it, is just being able to meet people where they're at. And that means you have to put away your own pride and humble yourself a lot. Um, and be open to to feedback. Be open Ooh, to awesome. connection. <laughs> yeah, I know I hate feedback. Yeah, it's a gift, right? Sometimes <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and it takes trial and error. Like I'm not perfect. I may have done this for ten years, but I'm not perfect at it. I still I still struggle with it, and it it's messy, um, and it's hard. But I I think it starts with empathy and just recognizing that like, hey, we're both human. We both kind of suck at this, but let's figure it out. Okay, so I want to explore that idea of meeting someone on their level as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to get them to get to your level. Why is it so much more effective to meet them where they're at? Because So what I'm thinking is so often when we're looking at fixing people or uh, fixing homeless people or whatever, it's like we'll get them out of their environment and they'll be okay, or, you know, something like that. So why is it that you have to go to them instead of the other way around? Like, I think about Christ and what he did, how he would go toward people, and he would find opportunities to meet people, again, where they're at. Spending time with, That's like what you know, the atonement is, right? Like, right. You can't do it all, so I'm going to make up the rest, and that requires him to meet us where we're at. But why is it that, instead of pulling the person out of where they are? I I get that this is kind of an obtuse question. But it's kind of like what I said But, like, this is what I want to explore. Like, why is is that effective? And it's kind of like what I said earlier, where I said, you kind of have to be in a higher spot to lift somebody up. And you said, not all the time. You have Sometimes to go to their level. you have to go to where they are to lift them. And, and, and not, that doesn't, no, I mean, think, doesn't mean you go get the drugs and you go... No, yeah, exactly. Because it's not that. And yeah. It's not, I'm going to go live on the street so that I can help you get off Let's the go together. <laughs> yeah, like, no. That's, that's, not, no. that's not what I mean. I think it's more... I look at it... like Look at like privilege. Like you guys and I have been raised with a lot more resources and privileges mm-hmm. than a lot of people. 
And so we, we're not going to be the ones that go to the person that's living on the street and say, oh, hey, I'm coming to you and I'm going to pull you no, out. No, but we should be. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't have those resources so and those privileges. Them. And I can't, I can't just like, I can't go like walk down to the block and be like, hey guys, you need to I get, got an idea. go get a job. <laughs> Stop doing drugs. Yeah. Like they're going to be work. like, get out, you loser. That's yeah. like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And it's yeah. true. I don't. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's more like, I see, I think a lot of it is just being like, hey, I see you. Like, yeah. I, I see what you're going through. I, and I may not necessarily know how to fix that, but I think there's something to be said for feeling like you've been seen. And I think for a lot of people in those communities, they're like, like think of how many times you're walking downtown and you see the homeless person, but you like don't even make eye contact with yeah. them. Like they are not people who are seen. And I think yeah. there's a lot in being able to be like, hey, I see you. I know your struggle. Can I help you? So I think about this a lot. People lose the dignity of being, of, of what it means to be human. That's not a great way to put it. But when people lose that idea that they're part of a society, part of a community, or when they lose the sight of their own internal dignity, I, I think someone has to recognize that and draw them back into it yeah because it is a societal thing and if if you're if you feel ostracized from society and that comes with you know not feeling like a dignified person not feeling worthy of human interaction well and if i've been ostracized my whole life i don't even know how to get back in right don't even believe it's without possible. someone yeah. coming and being like here yeah. let's help you that's there's great no, there's no value i right? love that and something that's kind of come out to me that as you've been talking, you said you basically, you have to go to them because they need to feel valued, loved. Like, and, and, and kind of when we were talking about the parenting thing, you have to treat them as they are a person mm -hmm. because they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and a lot of times these people have come from backgrounds where they haven't been treated that way. And, and I, I know in my life, there's been times where I haven't felt that anybody saw any value in me and, and, and loved me. And I came from a loving home, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and yet I've done that to people. I, I, a lot of times with my own interactions with people, I forget that it's not always about what I want and what I think and, and, be, and what I think is not always best. And right. I forget other people. And so that's the way it's going to be. When I do that, I see the behavior that it causes and maybe my kids and it does not ever make anything ever better. But when I get down on their level and I look them in the eye and mm -hmm. I talk to them with calmness and peace and I listen, most importantly, I listen. Yeah, that's a huge part of they it. They feel love. And mm -hmm. when they feel love, they shine. It's like, they, it's, like a, it's like a flower that just opens up in the sunshine. It's amazing how that works. Yeah, when you said it, like, hey, I see you, that just made me feel warm. That sometimes that's all I want yeah. is just to be seen. I think that's seen, all anyone wants, you know? right? Like even with the parts of me that I don't really want seen, I kind of need someone to see those things and then still accept me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if they can accept the worst parts of you, then that's a person that cares about you and that you can trust. Yeah. And, and those kind of amazing. people delight me. Hey. And so, yeah. So, <laughs> absolutely. And so I want to, let's It's I, a special person. I want to talk a little bit about from what you've seen, what are the barriers to delight? And then what are the bridges to delight in the process that you're walking through with these women? I mean, they're kind of opposites of each other, right? That's fine. So, like, I think barriers to delight would be, like, ingratitude. 
Um, I think gratitude is a huge part of delight. If you can find joy in the little things, like your life is just going to be so much better. Um, I think that's also too, like the people that I've seen be successful are very grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, They also get outside themselves and give back. Um, So service. Yeah. Service is huge. Especially if you're coming from a place where I was once where you are, you can do so much with that to be able to give back to that same community and be like, hey, I did this and I was successful and now I can help you through this too. Like I like that's there's a reason that's part of the 12 steps is giving back. Like that's what keeps people in recovery. And I don't just mean like recovery from drugs, like everybody's in recovery from something. So so like that's how you stay healthy Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of outside yourself. I Mm -hmm. think being stuck in your head or being selfish is a really good way to not fall right be delightful. In. Yeah, and to fall right back into <laughs> yeah, addiction. Into, yeah, into whatever into anything, it whatever it is that is your thing. There's a really good song from Tim McGraw, Humble and Kind. And at the very end of the song, I love it. He, he talks about, and when you get there, turn around, turn around the person and help behind the next you. person mm-hmm. mind. And, and I, I think there's so much beauty and power of that, and it's all service. And every... Every value that I feel like you've brought up today, empathy mm-hmm. um, and service and all these things, and, and I forget the other one that you mentioned a couple times, um, root of those things. They all go back, draw a straight line back to love. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Powerful. And, and, and so a lot, of, a lot of times in our lives, you know, whether we've come from a good environment or whether we've come from a broken home, when, when we feel worthless, we feel no value, Maybe it's because we're, we're surrounding ourselves with the wrong people and we're not really going towards those people that, that love and, and love and lift us and make us feel like we are important. And that's not that's not their fault, but maybe maybe no. And some that... of that can be our own choices. Yeah, like sometimes right? we do it to ourselves. Yeah. Or it's not something we can control, and we've been in places where that's not available to so us. So is that part of the process too? Like, hey. Who are you choosing to put yourself next to? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so talk about that a little bit. I mean, I mentioned this earlier. Like we do when we work with our clients, we make them build up support in the community. Um, and a lot of that is so that they have connections and love, like you mentioned. So build that up they, support in the community. What does that mean? So like, like I mentioned earlier, like going to churches. Yeah. Like working on your spirituality, but also at church, you're like interacting like with people who are the same desire are supposed to accept you similar right? value like, beliefs yeah. yeah are supposed to accept you but are also looking to yeah. get more like yeah like feel like, better yeah yeah. grow in some way yeah. mm-hmm. or you get that at AA and self-help meetings like that's a community of people who are trying to stay sober or trying to better themselves in some way but like you're all in the same playing field you're all on the same battleground like, so connect and yeah connect with the right type of mm-hmm. the people who value similar things that you do awesome that's good yeah that's great yeah kind of kind of plug in right I, I think I think there's a lot we, we live in a society now where everything we have is we have to plug in to charge up yeah, sure. everywhere we go. And we make sure that no matter where we go, airport, work, wherever it yeah, is, there's a plug close yeah. so we can plug up our device. Well, maybe sometimes we should start thinking of ourselves as that device and we've got to plug in. And we've got to plug in so that we can charge up too. And sometimes that means with the people we surround ourselves with, mm-hmm. right? Those people that we find to be delightful. Mm-hmm. We need to go and be around them so that we can feel some of their energy. And not only that, but like, what are you doing to be delightful for other people? Sure. Yeah. And, and that's what I was going to say is as we go around 
and we surround ourselves by people that we feel that deli- that are delightful, mm-hmm. then then that energy kind of we we are in that environment, we're in that energy, and we get it, and then all of a sudden we can turn around and and we're we're then giving it, and we're practicing things, we're living values in our lives because of what we've seen in these other people that haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've seen this in my life. There's a there's a, in fact there's a guy that I remember growing up, um, Joe Black. Oh sure. He, yeah, remember him? Uh-huh. He, he'd always. And at church, I'd go to church, and man, I'll tell you what, as a, as a 13, 14, 15-year-old boy going to church for three hours. Forever. Oh, I did not want to be there. I mean, I you mom didn't and, go it was, to church for three hours. Yeah, it was a fight every Sunday with mom and dad. Get your clothes on, get ready, and it was an argument the whole way through until I got there. Yeah. And as soon as I would walk in, most Sundays, Joe Black would be in the foyer, and he'd come up to me. And he'd give me a big hug. How you doing? And I mean, he, Joe Black at that point was probably 90, close to 90 years old. He was right? probably like 70. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, he, he was not young. But, but he was old, right? Uh-huh. He was old, much older than, than I. And he, and he definitely looked that way. But he always made it a point when he saw me, no matter where it was in the church, to come up to me, give me a hug, and tell me that he was really glad that I was there for that day. And you know what? I, I, as I look back on those times... It's not that every Sunday all of a sudden it was like a light went on in my soul and I was like, oh, I feel better now because I saw Joe Black. No, but you felt valued. Yes. And over time, I have not forgotten that. Mm -hmm. And that is a man that I aspire to be like. I want to do that back for somebody else. And so when you you talk about that, that you've got to be able to be that light too so you can delight other people, I think that choice of who we surround ourselves with makes such a big difference to where we're going to be and how we can turn around and give that to other people. So we got to make that choice to put ourselves around people that want those same things mm-hmm. that we're after in life, peace, happiness, joy, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it could be totally something else. But but I think if we want to have a delightful soul, we want to be delightful to other people, lift other people, then we need to go around people that lift us. And, and when we're in their presence, they make us feel a lot better. Yeah. Like Joe Black. Yeah, I guess it, like to me, one of the things this conversation is making me think about is sometimes I can get to the point in my involvement, the different communities that I'm a part of, where it's like, okay, I go and I go because I go for me and I go because there's something I want to get out of this or whatever. And I don't think a lot about my own engagement with the people around me. Sometimes it's just like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to be there. And, you know, if anybody needs anything, I can do anything, but I'm just going to go and then be done. But it's so important to realize how great an effect you can have just by letting other people know that you see them. Right. But also, too, like, like when I, because I do that, too, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go do this thing and we'll see what I get out of it. But I think the more engaged I am and the more I interact with people and connect with people, that's when I really gain something from it. Isn't necessarily when I'm just there for myself, but when I'm there to include others as well. Yeah. So instead of getting something out of it, what are we putting into it? What am I putting into it? Yeah. Yeah. And we should do that with all the time we have in our life, right? Let's put something into stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's just that like seeing people engaging like those are two of the most from what I from what you're saying, like those are two of the most powerful things that we can provide to anyone that we interact with. And so anytime that we've had 
that, that we go about our day and we haven't engaged or we haven't seen anyone, I mean, that just feels so empty. Mm-hmm. You might have gotten a bunch of stuff done at work or you might have been super productive mm-hmm. in something. Absolutely. But you're engaged and you're just floating. And it doesn't, it's not fulfilling. Yeah. If you're just checking off the boxes. Yeah. So, Katie, <laughs> I've been I've been an outsider for the last few years and my family has been kind of moving around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want to talk to you about the delight that I've seen in you over the growth in your life, right? And I, you know, I... I I know that all of us kind of go through phases and periods and for every, there's a season for everything in life, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. But I've noticed with you over the last, ah, you know, whether it's been three to five years or or maybe more, um, I feel feel like when I'm around you, there is a great warmth to you. And I'm not going to say that I didn't see that before. That's not what happened. Okay, you were really awful. cold. Five, three to five years ago, you were awful. <laughs> so I can say, no, no, no. It's not, it's not what I'm trying to say. And I apologize if that, if that comes across that way. But what I'm trying to say is, I go, I'll go back to what I said earlier about a flower that's blossomed. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I look at you is, I, I feel that way. And, and it's because of the way that you've made, you've made me feel in your presence, to be honest with you. The warmth that I felt from you lately and the way that you've made me feel in your presence, like I want to be around you. And that to me is super delightful. And that's, that's why we're doing these podcasts, right? Is we're trying to find those people that in their lives, you know, the regular everyday people, all of us are, are every regular everyday people and what in their lives, how have they found light? What are they doing to be delightful themselves? This, that, and the other. And, and Katie, I, you know, I find delight being around you. Thank you. And, and I feel, yeah, you're welcome. And thank you, because <laughs> that's benefited yeah. me. Dan and I, have, you know, we've talked about you and just talked about the growth that you've had personally. And I'm not going to say, like, that we've seen in you, because, I mean, my gosh, that sounds like like I come on some higher up place. I'm like, yes, you go. Great job. Now you're like that. No, no, you're you're all those Yeah. You keep me on that one. So, no, I mean, you're, you're amazing. I think what Mike is trying to say or at least, or or at least, kind of what I feel anyway is, yeah. the two of us have been through things where we have maybe what we've wanted internally, or because of how we've hurt other people, we've been alone and lonely and felt like there was not really much out there for us. And you are a person that we have seen that senses that yeah. and is has an ability to. Not call it out, but to go, like, to be there in someone's need. And, like, that is one of the, to me, most admirable things, qualities that I've ever seen in people. You, you, it's a really good way of putting it. And and that, to me, is kind of goes right back to what we were talking about earlier. You get on my level. Yes. Like, all of a sudden, in the last few years, like, when I'm around you, I feel like you get on my level. And I'm not on your level. You're you're much more intelligent. I mean, GPA wise, you killed me. Whatever, but, <laughs> well, but you, I mean, you, you didn't put up much of a you, fight. Then. But life is good for me, right? Life is good. That's really funny. <laughs> One day we'll talk about that. But anyway, um, but but you you come and you get on my level when I'm in your presence, and you do the same thing for Alicia, my wife, and you do the same thing for my kids. And mm-hmm. I want you to talk. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about what. Has occurred in your life in the last few years? What what has brought you delight? What have you 
we've experienced that it's just really been delightful to you and, and, and really caused that love to come into your life, that empathy to come into your life, those, all those things, those tools that make you love what you do. What, what are the things that you've gone through that's really helped you see that and feel that? Uh, I think it's because I've experienced it. Um, maybe not in the same way you guys have. Obviously, we've made different choices and ex had different life experiences. But I think like that alone feeling you were talking about, like I felt that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, you guys know I've struggled with depression and anxiety forever. When I'm at my lowest of lows, I like, like it feels alone. It feels numb. Um, you're not connected to anyone. It just, it's a very dark place and it's a very crappy place to be it's hard to even get to a point where you feel like you can connect with anyone oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah you, like you could be in a room mm -hmm. full of people you love and and who feel, love you yeah and feel completely isolated yes so i think as far as like being able to empathize with people on that it's because i know what that feels like even if i don't know the exact circumstances you're going through like like i understand that feeling and so I can relate on that level. And I think, too, while I was in those places, I had a lot of people around me who who reached out to me and who loved me and helped me feel seen. And they, it didn't necessarily fix my problem or make those things go away, but it made me feel that warmth and that love. And it helped me to, I don't know, I guess be motivated to get out of it and get to a place where I could help other people. And that doesn't mean like that I don't still struggle with those things because I do. But when I can get outside of myself and get outside of my own head and give back and and work, I think that's why I enjoy my work so much is because it kind of forces me to get out of that spot because um, I can't help people if I'm in that dark, crappy, numb place. But also just being around people who can relate to that mm -hmm. um, and learning from Like I probably learn way more from my clients than they ever do from me. Yeah. And and so just to watch them get out of that and see what they do to get out of that and being able to apply that to my own life is pretty cool. But I think the biggest thing for me is just having other people around me that were able to, like we talked about this whole time, get on my level, but then help me get out of that was huge for me. Who's helped you the most, if, if you don't mind me asking? And feel free to use me. Like, who's somebody that when you were in those moments... Can you think of somebody who did that for you? And and how did they do that? It was always like really little things. Like I had like, like Michelle Marsh brought me some little poster thing with a thought one time that was like exactly what I needed that day. Or like Ginger Gunn said hi to me at church and asked me like, Ginger Gunn's the best. Like, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, you can't be around her and not be happy. Or like if one of you guys would like shoot me a text like, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about it. Like, like it's really stupid little things. Like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. Never. never like it's grandiose. never been anything huge. It's mm -hmm. never been anything that's like taken a lot of time out of someone's day. Like Christiane Cox a while back brought me this like really pretty flower and was like, hey, this reminded me of you. And that like made that's my really month. Like, like it, it, and she probably didn't think anything of it. Like it was just a really easy thing for her. But like, like, like it's, it's the tiniest things, but just knowing that like, hey, someone thought of me and that feels really good. Reminds yeah. me of what you said of getting out getting something out of it uh -huh. or putting something into it yeah and I, I think that those little like teeny little things that take no time a text a flower stopping mm -hmm. by with a poster or whatever they had a lot of thought they put a lot of thought into that whatever they totally did 
But the amount of time that it took yeah. wasn't a lot yeah. of time. But they're yeah. putting with the time that they've been given by their creator, they are putting something back into it with it. And it's changing people's lives. Yeah. And and man, just hearing that from my end, it makes me kind of like how you talk about your job is you get a chance to go and you get to put back some put something back into it every day of your life mm-hmm. when you go into your work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I want to think about my life more in that way as is no matter what I'm going to do, whether it's going to a party with friends or a family get together or whatever it is, I need to start. I want to start choosing in my life to look at opportunities to everything I do to put something back into it. And that means my connections with people. What am I giving to people? How am I loving them? A text, a flower. Or even just like saying hi and making eye contact. How do you let other people know that you see them? How do I do it? No, no. I mean, like that's just, yeah, Yeah. like just anything that you can do to let people know that you see them is, it kind of is coming through as like the key. Yeah. So what's the hardest thing you've ever been through? (laughs) That's a, (laughs) how much time (laughs) do we have left? You got plenty. Uh... Leave it to Dan. Just let me lob that one up there for you. Yeah, we're, we're done with the software yeah. questions. I want to get into it. So, What's so, the hardest thing that you've ever had to deal with? So, Dan, Dan's to come to delight, you have to go through the dark. And so here the we dark? go. The dark? Yeah, the dark. That's, the dark. Right. That's my quote. That's his quote. Good one. Yeah. Um, a lot of things. I think um, it started with when Dad got sick mm-hmm. um, and going through all that. And then... I like Mike drinking was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, then Mike getting hit by a car was really hard. <laughs> um, I think um, I don't know that those are necessarily the hardest things I've been through, but I think they triggered a lot of my things with depression and anxiety, and that's when things got really low for me. Mm-hmm. So I think like like if I had to answer that question with just like one simple thing, it would be like my mental health stuff is probably. The hardest thing I've ever been through. Sure. But I think there have been hard things in my life that have definitely triggered that. Absolutely. So with that, with mental health being the most, your biggest beast that you have to fight, how do you find delight in the midst of that? Because to me, like when I am depressed or I am dealing with anxiety, it's either there's this giant fog and I can't think right. Yep. Or there's just darkness and I can't, I, no, no matter how much light I try and put into my, this is a, I, like in, into my soul or mm-hmm. whatever, like it, it, it doesn't seem to penetrate. Or sure, you don't even that, want anything to do with it. You want light to just get away from you because you're so... And some, sometimes that's the case, but sometimes I'm just trying everything yeah. I can to like I, see, stuff myself I'm like with you. Light, I'm like, I'm going to exercise every yes. day and eat healthy and, yeah. and do all these things. And then I'm still just Blah. yucky. So what are those things for you that actually finally, like what penetrates that? How, how, how do you move through? Sometimes it's just a cycle Yeah. and, and you just have to get through sometimes the cycle. Sometimes I just have to wait it out. Yeah. Yeah. Are there are, what are the other times? <laughs> that's that's what fine. The other times? So so uh, I guess where where I am trying to lead this is if in fact one cannot know delight without being acquainted to difficult things or the dark. The dark. <laughs> what has that and working through that very very difficult thing 
how has that increased your ability to feel delight or to have delight in your life if it has? Right. First thing, I think not I've done it before. Right? You've, like you've made it through the cycle. Yeah. Like I So just surviving. I the cycle. did it successfully. I turned out okay on the other end. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, so just knowing that it I can end. It. And so which yeah. is patience. But like that's huge though, because Absolutely. then then the next time I'm in that cycle, like it sucks and it feels like it's never gonna end, but I know that it will. Okay. And and really that good. like even that alone is huge. Like this is just a passing thing. It will go away eventually, even though it may not feel like it right now. But like there's still that little bit of hope, even if I don't really feel it on the inside. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when I want to get out of that goes back to that connection piece. Like I can use all my coping skills. I can listen to music and go for a run and eat the healthy food and take my medications or whatever. But like the, the biggest thing for me is just being able to talk it out with someone. With that... What is the gift that your depression and anxiety have brought to your life? My ability to see others. Go. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, just being able to see that in other people, recognize it, sit with them in it. I think it's also affected like my ability to be empathetic to people. Um, even if it's not depression or anxiety that they're going through, just recognizing that like everybody has something that they're struggling with and just being able to meet them in that and listen to them and be supportive of them. But I think, I think a lot of it is just, I think it's also increased my ability to love other people. But I think the biggest thing is just being able to, I think the biggest thing is empathy. Is it worth going through what you've had to go through and struggling with what you've had to struggle with to learn those things? Great question. Yes. I don't have anything to add to that. Just you, I, I do. <laughs> okay. Everything that you said is directly back to love. When, when you're in, in your mental state that you've struggled with, depression and, and just anxiety and those things, right? The one thing that you're lacking and that you're lacking for, for the feeling of is, the love. is love. Mm -hmm. And so because of the biggest, challenging, darkest beast in your life, the gift that it's given to you because you've gone through it and because you've endured it and because you've, gosh, outlasted it, but you've you fought through the struggle, the biggest battle you've been through in your life has taught you more than anything else. Sorry, maybe not more than anything else, but it's taught you beautifully and very well love. It's taught you and given you exactly what you were missing because of that monster. It's and taught you how to give that. And exactly what you need to be good at your job. Yeah. 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 Like I would not be as effective at my job if I had not experienced the things I did. Isn't that amazing about yeah. life? It, it it's, gives you the curriculum you need. Yeah. It's it's always. amen. It's it, we go through the things that we have to go through. Some of the hardest battles in my life have led me to what I'm the most passionate about in my mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And that's what I give back to other people and how I help other people and, and lift other people. I want to I found delight because of my battles. And I want to delight other people or give delight, help other people to find yeah, delight. Absolutely. Yeah, right? That are in those battles. Those are the people that I want to connect with. 
and and well, and those are the people I, I don't know how you feel, but those are the people I feel connected to. Totally. Yes. When I like meet someone who seems to have it all together, I'm like, I don't know if I really relate to you. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or hey, open yourself up so <laughs> yeah, that we so can. That we can. Everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody goes crap. through these. Shows. Well, it's how do you put yourself in the place of someone who is successful when you have you know like that's like it's hard to do that. I think the thing that, that I'll walk away with from today, I, 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 these conversations are so important to me. And one of the reasons that I want to have them with people that I find are delightful mm-hmm. is because I want to learn from you. And, and I feel like there's, other, there's, there's gifts that you can give to so many people that are looking mm-hmm. to connect with someone that they can learn from as well. And so that's why I want to put these out in podcasts, why Dan and I want to do this. This is the whole sure. motivation behind it. The thing that I'm taking away from you today that I feel like I'm getting the most of is what am I doing to meet people on their level? What am I doing to come to people, to meet them and to greet them and then to show them that they're worth it and they have value? And yeah. that, that, that reminder alone, I mean, I've already believed that before, but that reminder alone is so powerful to me. And I'm going to make sure after talking to you and, and, and hearing what you've had to say with some of these people that have really struggled, I'm going to remind myself every day when I leave my home and, and when I'm in my home that I want to get on their level and I want to connect. I'm going to come to them. Mm-hmm. At listening to Katie, the, the takeaway for me is vulnerability is key to change. Yeah. Like you can't change Without it, you have to get yourself to a place where you can be vulnerable and accept the things that you're weak at or that you're struggling with and then talk about that with people yeah. because it's in talking and, and expressing that to people that allows them to get on your level so that they can then be there and show you that they see you and that they are there with you and then it's building that trust and, and it just it creates that momentum to be able to make real concrete change in your life. It starts with vulnerability. You get your team. Yeah, you yeah. Your team. it brings yeah. you to we. We're grateful for Katie today for joining us. Uh, her message on vulnerability and how it leads to change is so important. And as you go throughout your life the next little bit, uh, just look for ways to show up for people, to actually show up and be there for them. Uh, We will be posting some information uh, about Katie and uh, this podcast on our social media platforms. Please feel free to uh, give it a like, uh, follow her if you'd like, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Come Towards Delight, where we try to connect with people who have delight and an uplifting story to share. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share our podcast and help us spread delight. One last thing, we would love to hear from you. So please leave us your feedback. Or if you know someone who has brought delight to you, please email us at come towards delight at gmail.com. See, See you, you next time. time.